This edition of The Wellness Prescription is brought to you by Healthy Planet, making the world healthier and greener one day at a time. Welcome to The Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you for joining me today. Hot flashes, sleepless nights, restless legs, mood swings, cravings, and so many other symptoms all fall under the umbrella of perimenopause and menopause. I talk a lot about hormones on this show because so many women suffer in silence and don't know how to get help and answers. Joining me today is Dr. Marisa Snyder. She helps women heal from burnout, blood sugar issues, and hormones. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, my hormones are such a big deal to me because I am also always working on trying to feel my best, be my best, but sometimes hormones get in the way. But one of the things I'm also aware of is that my blood sugar is kind of related to what my hormones are doing. So let's dive right into blood sugar and how it's related. So we think about the substrates that our body uses to create energy via our mitochondria. Um, it is the glucose in our blood that gets shuttled into our muscle cells, our fat cells, our brain cells, basically all the cells that are needing substrates to actually create energy such as ATP. And that is produced by our mitochondria. So when you think about the energy powerhouses that are driving everything, our hormones, our reproductive system, our digestive system, our brain function, even our immune system, that is all being driven by metabolic function. And in the way that we drive that metabolic function is one of the key substrates that we use for energy reserve is going to be carbohydrates, which in the simple form is glucose. So when our blood sugar is stable, our, our mitochondria are getting what they need on a very consistent basis. They're not feeling overwhelmed. They're not, they're not going into stranger danger mode where they shut down. And they're working properly and our, our cells have what they need to create energy for us and to ensure that our reproductive system is working, that our stress response system is working, that our brain and our digestive system are working. But if we have too much sugar in the blood consistently and that drives a response called insulin resistance, because remember, when it comes to shuttling glucose out of the bloodstream into our cells, it is via the hormone insulin. So insulin's like the little, the little um, kind of like the traffic cop on the street where he's like shuttling people one way and telling people to stop the other way. That's insulin's job. Insulin's job is to get that sugar into the cells. But over time, if we're constantly raising our blood sugar and crashing our blood sugar and raising it and crashing it, 95% of us experience at least one blood sugar spike and crash um, every other day. And so when there's enough of those blood sugar crashes, and there's some of us that are having blood sugar crashes, basically we call it the blood sugar roller coaster, where we are on that roller coaster starting kicking off in the morning. And we just ride that roller coaster until the next day. And so when we have that level of deregulation where our blood sugar is up and down and up and down and up and down, that ends up forcing insulin to constantly be rushing to our aid. And over time, our cells kind of develop a protection mechanism where they're like, listen, we can't take any more sugar on. We can't use this. We're getting a little concerned about insulin constantly signaling us we're going to actually start to become resistant 
to that insulin. And ultimately what ends up happening is our cells don't end up getting the amount of blood sugar or sugar out of the blood or substrates out of the blood to work. Over time, that looks like fatigue. That looks like severe PMS symptoms. Maybe that looks like polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, that looks like higher levels of stress. And that looks like brain fog, right? If our brain, which is the, the biggest gobbler of, of sugar in the blood, if it can't take in a glucose as a substrate, you start to feel really low in your concentration. You're not able to focus. You start to forget things. And then when we talk about type 3 diabetes being Alzheimer's, that's kind of an up-leveling of your brain becoming insulin resistant over many decades over time. For the sake of the listeners, let's talk about what are those things, what are those foods that are going to encourage insulin resistance in quantities that's not not just like a treat here or there. Are we talking about lots of red wine? Are we talking about like candy, cookies, baked goods? Let's talk a little bit about that because sometimes I find that people are confused about what is actually good sugar and what's not good sugar. It really does range in terms of as we get older, especially women, we are more insulin resistant. So as we start to precipitously lose our really important protective hormones, you know, estrogen is, um, is a hormone that actually allows us to stay insulin sensitive sensitive longer. So over time, as we start to lose that in perimenopause, and then obviously in menopause, we have menopausal levels of estrogen, we become highly more insulin resistant. And so what we could have gotten away with at 12 years old or 18 years old, or even 22 years old, we are gradually becoming more and more insulin resistant as we get older. It, living the de facto life that we're living, there's obviously things that we can do in our 30s and 40s that can actually prevent a lot of that. But foods that we think about most commonly, obviously, are desserts, highly processed foods, frappuccinos, vanilla lattes in the morning, anything where sugar is inside a beverage. I can promise that anyone drinking a vanilla latte any time of the day, morning, noon, or night, you are going to see a hockey stick blood sugar spike that is astronomical. And it's going to take most likely 24 hours to recover from that vanilla latte. Um, but so anything that's highly processed, that's liquid sugar, is going to hockey stick and it's going to take days to recover. But then let's even just look at breakfast. So breakfast is where we kick off. We break our fast from the night before, usually hopefully an eight. I, ideally, I would love for people, especially women, to get to 12 hours because that really gives our body an opportunity to become more metabolically flexible and to give our mitochondria a break. So we kick off our first meal. And if that first meal is oatmeal and fruit and orange juice and toast with butter, that will guarantee a blood sugar spike as well. And so that first meal of the day really sets the tone for what's going to happen honestly, the next 24 hours. It also is really dependent on not only what we eat, but the time in which we eat it. So if your first meal of the day every day is, is cereal or it's oatmeal or it's it's a it's a processed carbohydrate, it is going, or it's, it's a, a fruit smoothie, I call it a fruit bomb smoothie, and there's no protein, there's no healthy fats here, it's a guaranteed blood sugar spike and leading into you know, your blood sugar is going to crash. You're going to become hypoglycemic. Then around 11 o'clock, you're going to want to bite your hand off. So you're going to grab like a kind bar or something, maybe a vanilla latte. So let me just get you through to lunch. Then lunch, hopefully it's a little healthy, right? You A salad of some kind, but you know, maybe the dressing or you have some crackers with it. And there's a little bit of carbs with that. That'll tip you to like, maybe you get to 3 p.m., and then that's when the monster really comes out often for so many of us, you know, and you're making a choice there. Um, then you get to dinner. 
Um, and depending on what dinner is and how late you eat dinner, um, can really set the tone for what your blood sugar does at night. And then you start the next day. And so, um, I've learned that that first meal can make or break the blood sugar monster throughout the rest of the day. So if you have a meal that's very protein focused, like 30 grams of protein is a nice place to start. Um, some good fiber, some good healthy fats, maybe some salmon, you know, some roasted veggies or a, a protein smoothie with, with a frozen cauliflower, maybe a couple, like a handful of blueberries and a little avocado. That will get you to lunch where you can make a really great decision there. That will get you to dinner where you get to make another really wonderful decision there. And then you ultimately start having this stable blood sugar. But oftentimes we are chasing that blood sugar crash and burn throughout our days that eventually leads to the insulin resistance where then, you know, foods that may not have an impact on someone in their 20s because they're active and they're doing their thing and they've got more metabolic flexibility, um, even a sweet potato could, could at dinner could drive a response. And so, yes, the big offenders are processed food, any liquid beverage that's got sugar in it. And, you know, anything that's sugar driven, um, any, any processed carbohydrate, any simple carbohydrate is most likely going to drive most of our blood sugar up. But then when we have insulin resistance, it, we just become extra sensitive to the carbohydrates in our life. And you'll find that even the things that really shouldn't do it are, are driving a blood sugar response that may not be favorable. You know, there's always this kind of this myth around healthy sugar. And I was like, all, all sugar is the same in the body. And I'm so glad that you said that because a lot of people are always saying to me, well, you know, but I, I add honey and I had maple syrup instead. And you're absolutely right. It does that. And I have met my blood sugar monster a couple of times. And let me tell you, it's a horrible trip. You know, you start with one one wrong food and it can just lead you down that rabbit hole of making poor choices because you're making them out of desperation because you're either really hungry or you're having a heavy craving. So I like the idea of starting your day with a more protein dense or a healthier fat dense breakfast. So, you know, I love oatmeal, but I try not to eat it for breakfast for that simple reason that I know it's going to spike up my, my sugar. I hear from so many women that I work with, like, oh, it's just a little bit of this and oh, it's just a little bit of that. But then I start tracking their blood sugar. They start tracking their blood sugar. And it is such an eye-opening experience that we are far more sensitive to inoculous sugars, acellular carbohydrates than we think. Um, you know, I, I work really hard. I'm very diligent about keeping my blood sugar in optimal range, but I am, I am very intentional at keeping my blood sugar in optimal range. I don't have a lot of wiggle room at almost 44 years old. I had insulin resistance in my twenties. I was on a blood sugar roller coaster chasing that next snack for gosh, probably 12, 15 years had no idea that that's what it was until I became, uh, you know, I, I really educated myself and realized, oh my gosh, I've got a slight amount of insulin resistance. I just, I've, I know what my fasting insulin is and I'm repairing it. And so there are foods that for as metabolically flexible as I am, for as, as optimal as my blood sugar is, if I were to incorporate some of those foods back in, oatmeal would be one of those, or certain fruits all by themselves would be one of those. Again, these feel like really healthy options, 
But for if you already have some level of insulin resistance, which honestly, if you're over the age of 40, 88% of us do. I, I don't want to say it's safe to assume because it's always important to measure, but it's just something we need to be more mindful of that um, foods that may not have done anything to us in our 20s is probably having a different kind of impact in our 40s. And I'm so grateful that you said that, you know, at 44, there's not a lot of wiggle room. And that's one of the messages that I'd like to kind of give to my, you know, female listeners who are in that age group. Um, and now myself at 50, I notice the difference that if I'm not diligent about what I'm eating and when I'm eating it, I really do feel it. It affects my sleep. It affects my digestion as a whole. And it, and it tremendously affects my energy level. And I need to keep up my energy. I have teenagers, I have a busy career, and I feel like that's the message. message. So it's not about, oh, I'm just going to have a little treat today. For me, I'm thinking about the long-term effects. So if I'm going to eat that I have to know that I'm doing it at a certain time of the day and I need to know what the repercussions are. And I think that's an important point. You're probably listening and you're thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? How do I even navigate this terrain? Well, I think it's important one that we're having this conversation that there's more awareness because I cannot tell you how many women I meet that are pre-diabetic or almost pre-diabetic have no idea. They have absolutely no idea. And it's, I think it's over 80% of, of adults who are pre-diabetic do not know. And often your doctor just won't even say anything. Unfortunately, we, we won't really wait until we're heading towards that diabetic range of a hemoglobin A1C of like a 6.0 or 6.2 or a fasting blood sugar of, of 110. You know, um, so, you know, we could have been warned earlier and started making, you know, changes and simple changes. So a couple of my favorite changes is one, do not eat dessert for breakfast. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big one. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> and it's a lot of dessert for breakfast. As waffles and toast and cereal and oatmeal and you know these are fruit smoothies and yogurts and lattes you know a lot of these things we have to be really mindful swap out your sugar in your coffee for cinnamon try to drink as few none if you can no liquid sugars including coffee and people always like oh I just put a little creamer oh I just put a little sugar in it's unpopular opinion it's a blood sugar spike you know, I'm going to have a couple glasses of wine at dinner or after dinner, blood sugar spike. You want to guarantee a crappy night's sleep? Just drink those couple glasses of wine before bed. And that'll deregulate your blood sugar for a good a good solid day. And I know because I've seen it. And then the other thing is walking after meals. Walk after your biggest meals. Um, move dinner a little bit earlier. So if you eat dinner at seven, move it to six, you know. And then one of my favorite things is eating veggies first then proteins and fats, and then finishing with the carbs. So those are some hacks that you can implement that can make a huge difference in your overall blood sugar and energy levels. So I guess the message is I have to give up my Skittles and I have to give up my <laughs> my uh, mocha frappuccino, but I guess it's for the benefit of my hormones. When we come back, more on hormones and hormone replacement therapy. This is the Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Connect with us on Twitter at 105.9 The Region or call 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. This is 105.9 The Region. The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 105.9 The Region. 
You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to The Wellness Prescription. Before the break, Dr. Snyder and I were discussing all the things hormones. So the foods we should be avoiding, why it's important for our estrogen and progesterone to be in balance, and more importantly, why we need to balance our insulin and our sugars in our body. So we all want to know what the secret is. Everyone wants to know, is it possible to lose weight during our perimenopause and menopausal years? Absolutely, yes. It is all a matter of understanding our physiology and honoring the fact that our bodies are changing. You know, we, we, we are. We're moving out of childbearing years in the energy of reproduction because goodness sakes, our menstrual cycle requires an insane amount of energy to run every single month. The amount of mitochondria in our ovaries are more than any other cell inside of the body, including the brain. 15,000 mitochondria per cell in the ovaries because we make babies. So when it comes to perimenopause, as our hormones begin to shift, as um, progesterone, testosterone, growth hormone, even estrogen begin to precipitously drop, it really becomes important to become metabolically flexible. It's time to really put the gas pedal on full speed ahead when it comes to our metabolism. And one of the best ways that we can circumvent the shifts and changes in our sex hormones and our build you up hormones like testosterone and growth hormone is to stabilize our blood sugar. I highly recommend if you don't know what your blood sugar is, at least do an annual exam every single year and ask for a fasting blood sugar and a hemoglobin A1C. But if you can afford it, I'm a big fan of the biohacking tool, a continuous glucose monitor, even for one month to see what is your fasting glucose every day? What is your glucose levels before and after meals? What happens during the day as you are living your life? Stressful meetings, workouts, what happens when you just drink coffee on its own? Does it do anything? The more that we can understand our metabolism, the more that we can move in from fat burning to sugar burning at will, we have the ability to burn fat more efficiently. We have the ability to build muscle as well. So my recommendation is understand where your blood sugar is at. Number two, lift heavy weights as heavy as you possibly can because our muscle is the organ of longevity is what I'm trying to say. And we precipitously lose muscle mass about 8% every decade starting in our 30s. So if we can maintain our muscle mass into our 50s, 60s and beyond, we are in a great place metabolically. We will be able to burn fat way easier. Um, walking at least 7,500 steps a day and ideally, preferably after meals if you can do so. Anything under 7,000 to me is moving into sedentary. Getting outside in nature as much as possible throughout the day and making sure that you have all of your nutrients met. So when I think about eating for my hormones and eating for my metabolism, there's three food groups as far as I'm concerned. It is clean protein sources. Next, it's healthy fats. I'm talking about clean healthy fats, olive oil, avocado, nuts and seeds and as much fiber as you can possibly get your hands on. We're talking 35 grams to 50 grams of fiber a day, adding in things like flax seeds and chia seeds and lots and lots of green leafies, lots and lots of color of the rainbow. And if that is the bulk of your meals every single day, I can promise you, guarantee that you will stay lean, that you will have a Rebbe metabolism, and you will have hormones that are working 
for you. And when it comes to hormone replacement therapy, I know there's lots of different opinions on it. What is your opinion and is it necessary to help to maintain the metabolism? Is it going to make a big, huge difference? Because I get a lot of questions all the time and it makes sense that some people think, well, can't I just go through the transition on my own, right? Or should I get some assistance? One of the most alarming statistics that I think women should know, um, and I'll, I'm going to reframe this in a positive, is that we uh, we we will die of heart attacks and cardiovascular um, events more than men. By the time we are 45 years old, 88% of us will have at least one metabolic marker towards cardiometabolic disease. Um, and there's a lot of unique risk factors that put it mo- put us more at risk than men. I know so often when we think about cardiovascular disease, when we think about dementia and Alzheimer's, we think of these as male diseases, but actually women die of them more frequently. And we start to develop risk factors earlier than men do. And so when it comes to keeping our bodies healthy, Um, pulling all the levers, as far as I'm concerned, is so critical. Now, can you bioidentical hormone your way into weight loss? No, you cannot. You can't fix a broken metabolism with some hormones, unfortunately, but they can be supportive. More so what I would love when it comes to bioidentical hormones is that they're helping with stress resilience. They're helping with sleep. Um, They are helping with more cardiovascular protection, more bone protection, and more neurological protection. And so when we do lose lose these hormones precipitously and we do not have that metabolic base, um, things can go, they, they can feel like they could rapidly shift in the wrong direction after we get into menopause. Now, I believe that we need both. We need a good metabolism, and there's a lot of things that we can do to turn the tide, many of which I just spoke about. Um, and it is nice to have adaptogenic herbs. It is nice to have bioidentical hormones to help ease us through. And when you're working with a good practitioner, you just can't willy-nilly just take bioidentical hormones. You've got, I mean, estrogen, she is a growth queen. And so we have to be mindful about you know, using estrogen in a way that really supports us without causing any estrogen drama, as I like to call Progesterone as well. Like progesterone is phenomenal. She's amazing for stress resilience. She's amazing for sleep. You want to make sure that these two hormones are working beautifully together. And in some instances, maybe some women need testosterone. Now, are these absolutely necessary and needed? No. But can they assist you on your journey based on your unique um, health history, your unique family history, your unique wants and needs? Absolutely, yes. And I believe that women can use them far longer than we initially anticipated. I know that you kind of are the same as me, where I believe that food is our medicine first and foremost. So when it comes to this age group, so I'm going to pull us into like the 40s and you know early 50s when you're starting to go through transition. What are some foods, like name three foods that we should include daily in our diet? That's going to assist our hormones. Protein. A lot of women are under under protein. So we should be aiming for, you know, 0.85 grams to one, one gram of protein per pound of lean body mass. And so the average woman usually lands probably 30 to 35 grams of protein at every single meal. Most of us are skipping protein and it's having a detrimental effect, especially in this demographic where we are starting to lose our muscle mass at a much faster rate. And we want to make sure that we maintain that because that is such a big crux of our metabolic health. Number two, fermented foods. Um, gut, gut health is so, so critical here. So if you can add fermented foods, like two servings a day, I know you probably weren't thinking that, um, but it is a game changer for supporting your gut microbiome. The third one that I would love 
you to incorporate in, kind of getting where you fit in, is going to be Christopher's veggies. We want to make sure at this particular time, we are still, estrogen is kind of all over the place. We're not in perimenopause, we're not in menopause yet. We're kind of at the throes of perimenopause right now. And so estrogen is swinging high and low. And when she's swinging high, the liver is just feeling that burden. And so as much broccoli sprouts and, and, and cauliflower and broccoli and, and Brussels sprouts and I mean the whole like arugula, get it in, get it in where you fit in because we're going to, you're going to help the liver and the gut process that excess estrogen so that we're avoiding things like fibroids and fibrocystic breasts and really heavy, crazy periods as we're kind of getting to the tail end. If I had a bonus food, it would be blueberries because it's so phenomenal for, for the brain and it has such great fiber. Um, it's my favorite berry to put in a smoothie. Let's talk about coffee. So I spent my entire, you know, 20s and 30s and 40s trying to give it up. Uh, and then I just decided to find research to support why I should drink it once a day. <laughs> so what is the deal with coffee? Honestly, for the most, for most of us, coffee is fine. And so my rule um, for women, one, it's imp- like, it always good to know, does black coffee or espresso on its own raise your blood sugar? If it does, you probably want to pair it with something with breakfast. If it doesn't, go get it. I recommend that after 12, you switch over to matcha or green tea. We know that a, just one cup of green tea every day will lower your um, your C-reactive protein, your inflammatory biomarker, and we want to do that. So have the cutoff of coffee, be new, or 1230 if you got to get that like noon coffee in, and then swap over to a matcha latte or an iced matcha. So I have, I have all the things, all the accoutrement in my house. I have a big Vitamix, and I have a ceremonial grade matcha. So I do a, a, usually a half a teaspoon of matcha with some unsweetened vanilla almond milk, um, whip it up in my blender and then pour it over ice and then add cinnamon to it. And that is my drink for the afternoon. So I'm getting all of my antioxidants. Um, I'm reducing my hemoglobin, or sorry, my, my C-reactive protein. I'm reducing my inflammatory markers. Yeah, the other thing I would recommend uh, too, if you're open to it, I did mention circadian-based fasting is, you know, again, once you're done with dinner, do your best to roll to that 12 hours later. So if you finish dinner at 6 p.m., don't eat again until 6 a.m. Um, and, you know, coffee doesn't count. You can do coffee or green tea or tea without anything in it that that's included in your fast. But just know, just be curious to see if I drink coffee on its own in the morning in my fasted state, does that change my blood sugar? If it does, I highly recommend moving it to when you break your fast um, first thing in the morning. I cannot thank you enough. I'm so excited. The big takeaway for me on this segment was, yes, my hormones need to be balanced. I need to keep my blood sugar in check, but I'm so happy I get to keep my coffee. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's always a pleasure. You're so informative. I absolutely love listening to you. But if listeners want to get a hold of you, buy your book or learn more about you, how can they do that? Yeah, you can go to drmarisa.com um, or Amazon. Look me up there. All the books are there. Um, and um, you can go to Instagram as well. I have so many tips, super little short reels and tips on blood sugar, hormones, everything you can imagine. It's at drmarisa, at D-R-M-A-R-I-Z-A. That's amazing. And you can always find me on Instagram at Claudia underscore Macchiella or my website, claudiamacchiella.com. That's my show for this week. If you missed it, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple 
Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and of course, Audible. I'm Dr. Claudia. Thank you for listening. I hope this helps you live your best life. The Wellness Prescription was brought to you by Healthy Planet. Order online at healthyplanetcanada.com or go online to find a location nearest you. 